everybody. Welcome to On Grade. This is episode eight. I'm Brandon Weinlein. Uh, I've got uh, Devin Bordeaux here from uh, Ruben Excavation out of uh, Princeton, Texas, just recently out of Canada. So uh, I'll let you get started, Ruben. Welcome to the show. Uh, Devin, welcome to the show, man. So uh, tell us about yourself and how you got down here to Dallas from Canada. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, uh, basically we... We've been going in Canada for about uh, going on four years now and just kind of decided it was time to make a change. We got looking at some different places and options. Big thing up north is uh, anyone in the States, the northern states knows it too, but you end up with a short work season. You're about eight, nine months if you're lucky. And then you run into snow, frost. No one wants to pay for the extra stuff. So you end up doing snow removal in the winter to keep guys going. That's kind of a money-losing operation unless you're into it big time there's lots of guys that make money at it but you really got to be making that your thing so we never really uh, enjoyed it enough to make it our thing and we got talking about making a move and going somewhere it was we're going somewhere it ain't got no winter and that was uh, a short list at the southern u.s basically so florida texas arizona and we had a couple buddies that came down here and said you know you gotta check it out gotta check it out so took a road trip drove down we're here three days had some barbecue and the decision was made we're uh it was it so that's awesome, man. Yeah. So I saw um, your ex-military. So you served in the Canadian Armed Forces? Yep. Yeah, I was a combat engineer in uh, Canada. I was there for three and a half years. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So what would you say, did you ever do any operations with U.S. forces or was it Yeah, mostly... we uh, we came into Fort Bragg. Um, we used to do stuff at that because we, we had started, an air, they started an airborne regiment up again when I was in PET. So I ended up getting into that. And uh, that was pretty cool shit but we got to work with the americans back and forth a few times and uh we always kind of made fun of it it was kind of funny not made fun of it but uh the americans just had more money right the american oh, yeah. military is just funded to the nines it's like it's what it should be everywhere right but most countries are just poor boy in it so you get the american military they just throw more money at it throw more guys at it throw more monies at it you know best of the best stuff whereas up in canada it was always kind of they ragtagged it and we had i think the whole that when I was in the entire Canadian military with the reserve force was like 79,000 members for the entire military. 79,000. Yeah. That's Navy, Air Force, and Army that's combined. insane, man. Like Fort Bragg, North Carolina was like 100,000 guys just on one base. You know, like that's, that's what it is, right? So that was the big difference. But in the military in Canada, like especially as an engineer, you're basically trained to do a little bit of everything. You know, you're not single job, you know, specialize in one thing. You always had a specialty of something, but everybody kind of got trained to do everything because we didn't have enough people to just do, you do this, you do this, you do this. You know, you had to be more versatile and stuff. And that was the thing we noticed with the Americans is they had enough people that you could make people specialize to, you know, this is your job. This is what you do. And you train to do this. Whereas up North, it was a little different. You were, you know, today you're doing this, but uh, tomorrow you're over here. So, you know, that's just what it was, but. So as a vet of the U.S. Army, I can actually attest to this. It's not all you think it is. Uh, we have the same problem in the U.S. Army, believe it or not. As big as we are, yeah. um, I can't tell you how many times I'm working on radios or changing tires on Humvees or <laughs> changing tracks on Brad's. I, I've done pretty much everything you can think of. Yeah. I've done it. Uh, so what made you decide to uh, get into construction? Like, was that from the military being an engineer or what was it? Uh, no, I kind of grew up around it. So my stepdad had a, uh, a contracting company growing up. So I was always around it. Grew up in a small town. It was just kind of what it was. So as a kid, you know, you were always around that stuff. And 
it was something that I always did because I had to out of necessity. It wasn't necessarily something that I thought I enjoyed doing. And then the older in life you get, you start realizing that, you know, you remember those things you did as a kid and you start liking them and they're, you know, it becomes something you miss almost. So I ended up going to a college for uh, construction management, thinking I'd get into doing, you know, being a project manager and estimator. And after six months of doing that, I was like, yeah, no, there's no way I want to sit in an office my whole life. This is dumb. So I decided to join the military. It was just something I always wanted to do. So I often did that. And when I got out, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I considered getting back into construction management and stuff. And I, uh, my uncle was a crane operator. Grandfather was a crane operator. Talked me into going to take a crane course and going to be a crane operator. So again, something I didn't really want to do, but it was just like, yeah, it's good money. You go do it for a year or two in the oil patch and whatever. I ended up doing that. Went up to Fort McMurray. I spent seven years running crane. And then after a while, I just kind of gravitated back to construction. It was I got sick of working for other people, got sick of going to work the day in, day out. As a crane operator, you spend most of your days, you know, running taxi crane, you're getting hired out to different companies. So I'd work for this company this day, this company that day. Every day you're sitting there watching people work. And after seven years, you know, you're not a pipe fitter, you're not a welder, you're not a, you know, electrician or an iron worker or whatever, but you've seen this done thousands of times. So when guys are going to fit a, pe- a couple flanges together and they're not lining up, well, I've seen guys have the same problem and, you know, they fixed it by doing this. Well, you try to tell someone how to do something and they just look at you like you're retired, yell at you, tell you to fuck off, you slam the door and watch them struggle for three hours. So after a while, you just stop making suggestions, you know, by two, three years in and you just watch people bash their heads against the wall for days on end. And that gets annoying after a while. And Eventually, I just got to the point where it was it was always a good job, and it was a great career, and it is a great career, but I just wanted to do something on my own, so started uh, started doing renovations, decks, fences, kitchens, remodels, that kind of stuff, and honestly, just fell into the excavation stuff. It was something that I had always thought about doing, but never had a plan or a path or how I was going to get there. I just happened to have a buddy of mine who owned an HVAC company. He needed a gas line trenched in one day and called me up. He's like, hey, you know anyone who can trench a gas line in? Yeah, I'll go do it. Went and rented a mini hoe and dug a gas line in. Six months later, I was doing so much excavation work that stopped doing all the the construction renovation and just went full bore into it. Here we are. So what year was that with, that you started doing that? Uh, I started the renovation stuff, I think, in 20, 2019, 2018. I always get screwed up on this. 2018, 2019 is when I started that. And then within about six months, I was into the excavation work, mostly doing sewer and water, residential tie-ins, repairs, that kind of stuff. That led into septic and small commercial and that kind of stuff. But so yeah, just kind of ran with it, went from there. So uh, what year did you actually start rubing up? Was that 2019? Yeah, 2018 is when I founded the company and then started working with it. Yeah, it would have been 20 January 2019 is when we started working. So I started out with Rubin Construction, year two we set up Ruben excavation just because it was doing so much excavation work kind of had both going for a while and then i just follow the money right so our margins are better on the excavation side of things you're in and out of projects quicker you know as much as i did enjoy the construction side of stuff when you're dealing with clients on a project for three four five six months changes happen things change this doesn't happen you know you end up with a lot of headaches and i've always even to this day i find there's more headaches in the construction side of things versus the dirt work world. 
you're in and out quicker. You're usually starting the project off. So changes haven't happened to like the tile color and the, the paint on the walls. And, you know, we're going to put 16 more windows here and, you know, that kind of stuff that, that just was a nightmare for me at the time, you know, when it comes to the dirt world, well, they make changes, but you can always change dirt. It's pretty, pretty doable. Right. Whereas, I think the funniest one that happened to me recently was I was in a pre-construction meeting for a Dutch brothers coffee a couple, <laughs> almost a year ago. And they had all the civil contractors sitting in there and it was us, the utility contractor and the concrete contractor. And they started talking about the water faucets <laughs> at the pre-construction meeting. And we're all civil guys. Now they did have the plumber there and some other guys. And so my superintendent elbows me and he goes, Hey man, bet you won't ask him. I said, what? He said, I bet you won't ask him what color the color of the carpet is. I said, bet. So this guy's, this owner's rep sitting here talking, talking, talking about it. I mean, we've been there for two hours. You know, a pre-con should be 30 minutes, right? <laughs> and I finally go, hey, I got a question. He goes, yeah, yeah, what you got, Brandon? I said, uh, hey, what color is the carpet? Everybody in the room busted out laughing, <laughs> but but him. And, he, you know, I got the snake eyes, you know, go fuck yourself look. And yeah. I just went, my time is money, man. <laughs> yeah. And you're wasting my time. Yeah, exactly. So, I need to get the hell up out of here. I got to go do my job now. Yeah. You're, I don't care. You're a rep and you can do what you do. That's great. That's not my job. So yeah, <laughs> like, like, a lot of times guys. it's like, it's not ill intended, but people just have no, like they don't get it. They don't think about it. They don't, uh, they don't clue into the fact that, you know, it's, it's not, you're just wasting time Yeah, asking questions about things that don't matter. You know, you're going to change your mind four times from now to then anyway. So why are we talking about this? Let's just get going. Right. Like, but yeah, it's, it's it's funny how that all goes. It it it, it does, and um, you know, I I really am excited to have you on the show tonight. You know, so what? How did the whole process of you guys? You kind of explained earlier how you were coming to Texas. Yep. What was the entire process of moving the company from Canada to Dallas? What it, was your procedure and how you guys did it and all that? Kind it of stuff? is a logistical paperwork lawyer money nightmare you got to look at it like you are literally basically starting a company from scratch again so you know we just spent four years building a brand building a company building a reputation you just get rolling you know things are moving in the right direction things are going well and then you decide you know what i'm just gonna pull the rug out from under myself and just start this all over again but coming down here logistically, so there's a couple ways you can do it. Um, what we did is we set up a U.S. corporation, um, and in the U.S., in the US you can, there's two ways you can invest in the companies to come down here. So you can do an E2 or an EB, E5 or EB5. They're basically investment visas. One's a green card investment. The other one's a work visa, and then you can transition into the other ones. So we did an E2 investor's visa. So basically we set up a new U.S. corporation down here, invested required money, equipment, assets, time and stuff. And then you come down here and you set up your U.S. corporation. Go. The whole part of it is basically to incentivize people to create jobs and you know invest money in the U.S. to, to do that. Canada is like completely backwards. You want to go to Canada? Well, they'll just open the door. Yeah, come on in. You know, it don't matter. Where the U.S., it's you got to be bringing something to the table to come down here, which is to me, it's awesome. And that's the funny thing in like seeing the two different markets. So if you go to Canada right now, Every country in the world is full of immigration. The U.S., everybody wants to come to the U.S., but not everybody can come to the U.S. They make it hard 
for most people to come here, you know, unless you live in Mexico and you can just walk across the border to get in here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for most countries, it's, uh, it's hard to come to the United States. You have to be actually bringing something to the table, contributing to society, you know, making an improvement. Whereas in Canada, where we're from, there's a lot of people that are brought in the country that don't really contribute anything to it. So you end up with a lot of people coming in that are not really helping bring the country up. If anything, you're dragging it down, you know, and from someone that's grew up there my entire life, you know, I served the military there. I was proud to be Canadian and stuff. And don't get me wrong, it's a great country and it's a great spot, but there's been a lot of political decisions that have been made in the last few years that have just really brought down the value of the country in a sense, you know, and, and that trickles down into the workforce and it trickles down into how business is done. It, it trickles down everywhere and it just really affects everything. You know, when there's no barrier to entry anymore, now it's it's a free-for-all and anyone can kind of do what they want and it just it brings down the quality of it. We're coming to the States, it's not easy. It takes money, it takes time, it takes, it's a lot of work. But, uh, you know, basically we had to hire immigration lawyers. They had to go and do all the paperwork for us, set up your investments, set up the company. You got to, you know, prove everything as to where's the money coming from, you know, where's the equipment coming from. It's all, it's a process. It's not, uh, it's not a simple, easy thing, but I think it's worth it, hundred percent. That is awesome, though. I mean, it's it's really cool. You know, when we first started talking and you told me your story, I was like, "This is too cool. I'm gonna have this guy <laughs> on the show." Because you know, you hear about guys going to other states. Yep. But you never hear about a guy coming like, "Hey, I'm from Canada. I'm gonna come down here and start an excavation company." And I'm not just going to like Minnesota or, you know, North Dakota or Montana. No, I'm going to Texas. Yeah. I'm going to the other side of the country. Oh yeah. Literally. So, you've been down here a couple months now, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the barbecue sold you, I'm sure. Oh, 100%, man. <laughs> and the people, man. Like, yeah. People down here are just, it's awesome, right? Like, people are welcoming, friendly, you know. You get what you give, I find. And, you know, and that's that's a big thing down here. Like, people are just very genuine, good-hearted, tell it to you like it is kind of thing for the most part. and. Definitely really like that part about it. Like it's, that is the, awesome. The people are huge. It's definitely, it's great. I've never really been to Canada. I've been to Goose Bay. Um, <laughs> we're coming back from Germany. Yeah. Uh, we stopped there. They wouldn't let us off the plane. Uh, they actually made us sit in the plane while they refueled us. So that's the only experience I have in Canada was a bunch of Mounties around the plane, and they weren't letting us off. So we were like, okay, cool, whatever. Yeah, you wouldn't want to get off there anyway. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Uh, <laughs> um. So, how was it bringing the equipment down? I can't imagine what that cost so, must have been. I, I know you have your own trucks, but I mean, it's it must have been brutal. About ten thousand bucks a load just to ship it. And then you got to import it. You got brokerage fees. So, like our each load that came down here was about four thousand in brokerage fees. It's like for the broker to do the paperwork, set up the bond, do all that stuff, and then then the shipping on top of that. So you're basically 14,000 roughly per load to come down any on-road equipment. So like our Peterbilt we brought down, that's got to go through an importation process. So if it's a commercial on-road vehicle, it's got to go to a registered importer's yard. So like our truck had to go, I drove the truck to Montana, Great Falls, parked it in the registered importer's yard. It sat there for 31 days. Cause that's the hold period. And then, so drive the truck, fly to Edmonton, get the truck, drive to Montana, drop the truck off, get on a flight, fly back out of Montana, go back a month later to pick the truck up, then drive it down to Texas. So you, you got to do all this paperwork ahead of time to make sure that's clear to go. They inspect it, check the VINs, make sure you own the truck, you know, all this stuff. They, they clear it 
to make sure it's good. Then you bring it to the yard. It sits there for a month. And then the U.S. government or the border service goes through the same paperwork that the importer just did to say, yeah, well, yeah, it is good to go. And then 31 days later, you can bring it in. So it's a process. doesn't matter what you, any way you cut it. Well, it's the federal government. I mean, do they, they, government's they, government. che- <laughs> they got a checklist to take a dump. So yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> made yeah. me think of the rock. <laughs> <laughs> government doesn't take a shit without a checklist. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so what advice since you really are starting over, yep. I mean, yeah, you've got an advantage. You have your own equipment. You you've been around the block now. You know, estimating all that stuff. Yeah. What advice did you give to somebody that's going out on their own? I mean, this is what this episode's about. You know, um, you know, I, I I have some points that I want to talk about, but I'm gonna let you have the floor first. What are, what are some things that you would give to that guy that's sitting in a cab right now, maybe listening to this, going, you know, tired of being treated like crap, try working for these huge companies and being treated like a number i want to go out on my own what would you tell them well i mean the first thing it's it's a personal you got to really do some soul searching and figure out what it is you really want because you know you and i we're in business and we know that you know you're you start a business and the next day you're filthy rich and everything's easy and there's no problems right so it's just easy and good that's what uh that's what everyone thinks you know that you own a business and you're just making money and there's no headaches and it's the way to go but the reality is, is when you start a business, you're basically signing up to deal with 10 times more bullshit than you could ever imagine. Deal with more problems, more headaches. Like you are the dumping ground. Everyone's got a problem and they're dumping it on your lap. And the whole point of being a business is to solve problems. That's, that's just what it is. Every business in the world solves a problem. You want to start a business, find a problem and solve it. You got a business. That's what it is. hundred percent. But you, <laughs> you got to be prepared for what that entails because you got employees and vendors and customers and they all have problems and you're the one who's got to deal with them all. And a lot of people just don't really have the mental capacity to deal with that. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people are really intended or to be employees, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being an employee, man. You can make some good money. You can make a hell of a lot of money working in a company, you know, being a kick-ass employee. But if you're not happy being an employee and you want to have your own thing and you want to run your own company, then, you got to be prepared to take a step back and really assess what it is that you're prepared to deal with. And then once you've made that choice, it's pretty simple. Find the problem that you're going to solve, figure out how you're going to solve it and build your company around that. And that's, that's business one-on-one you do that. And then you got to make the decision that you're going to commit to it and go, because a lot of people will step, you know, Oh, well, I'm going to work here and then part-time this and, Man, you got to decide you're quitting your job tomorrow, burn the damn boats and go all in because you're going to go through some hard shit. You're going to deal with some stuff. And if you got a plan B, you know, or an escape route out of it, the minute it gets hard, you're going to peel out and go, you know, I'm sure you can remember the first time that you were burnt and you couldn't make payroll or something like that. And then you're just like, dude, you know, the thoughts in your head, what did I do? <laughs> you know, like I'm an idiot. I should have stayed doing this or whatever. Then you figure it out. And you get through it. And then three days later, you're like, oh, it wasn't that bad, you know? And now, you know, those problems have compounded 10 times over and they come and you figure out a solution out and you keep moving, right? But the first time you hit that big problem when you can't make payroll or, you know, you get burnt huge in a job or something gets destroyed or, you know, th- that first big problem is really the test. You know, that's the, how big are your balls at that point, right? And, the, and, and what do you really want? And that, you got to be prepared for that. 
you have to know that you are going to get tested in business. And the first test you get isn't necessarily the hardest test you're going to deal with, but it is the hardest in reality because you're not, you've never done anything like that before. You never had that, you know, and that's, that's the biggest thing. People really need to be aware what becoming an entrepreneur is or starting a business. It's not all sunshine and roses and rainbows, but I think it's something that, you know, you know, like you've always had this inclination in the back of your head that you wanted to have your own company or you wanted to be in business, you know, and, and if nothing else, at some point in your life, you realize that shit, I want to have my own company, but it's not just a passing thought. Like it's a desire that you want to do it. And I think that's something that all entrepreneurs and all business owners have in common. And if you got it, you'll know it, you know, and you just need to be prepared to go through the shit to do it. I tell everybody it's like the battle of little bighorn and your custer and every, you got to make every shot count man because if you don't it's uh you're full of arrows pretty quick 100 percent, man i'll tell you i got a bunch sticking in my back right now so uh i uh my advice i would give is make a plan before you go out on your own make a plan something yeah. i didn't do no, me uh i didn't write a business plan i wrote three now I'm I'm four years old and I wrote three business plans. Everyone's like, why are you still writing business plans? Because there's expansion things I want to do like we talked about. I want to get into trucking, yep. get back into utilities eventually going again. So there's other avenues I want to approach, but I need to write a business plan because I need to set goals. I need to set expectations. I need to set things that I want to achieve in certain milestones. The other thing you got to look at is the saturation of what you're wanting to do. If you're wanting to be strictly excavation, I'll tell you the niche right now to get into is the little small guys that are putting in driveways, the guys that are digging ponds, doing arenas, all that kind of stuff, doing land clearing. Yep. There's such a market for it right now because there's a ton of development going on. But the other thing too is there's not a lot of guys chasing that work. Yep. Everybody's chasing the big shit right now. Everybody's going for the million square foot building pads, the cookie cutter commercial jobs the big neighborhoods that they're benching 500 lots those are the jobs everybody's going after so if you're kind of looking you got to find your niche that's the other key you got to find a niche if you don't find a niche you know you're just gonna fizzle up just like the rest of them yep the other thing you need to learn is you need to learn costs a lot nobody gets that right <laughs> i don't care who you are everybody here is underbid a job overbid a job 90% of guys in business don't even understand costs. Yeah, no. You know, you're, you're, you're literally shooting in the blind 90% of the time. You're just, you, you have estimated guesses yep. is what you're doing. And you are praying to God that the numbers you came in with still work when they give you the contract 60 days later. <laughs> and then you go, well, I can't honor these prices because diesel's gone up. And they go, well, we're going to give the job to somebody else. And then you go, okay, well, you know, I guess I'm going to have to eat crow and yep. have to make this work. So that's the other things you got to look at. The other things you got to look at is overhead. That's a big thing that nobody really wants to talk about. That's the that's the elephant in the room is, oh, I want to have this estimator. I want to have my company trucks. I want to have the office. I want to have the ivory tower. Well, that all costs money. And it's money you're not getting paid to have that. That's money that is being burned out of all the jobs you're doing at once. Yep. You and me have offices. You and me have locations that we do business out of. If I could, I'd do it out of my truck still. I tell everybody all the time. <laughs> if I could, yeah. I would. When it you're just, running a larger excavation company, you can't do that. Though. No. The minute you get staff, you need you need a spot, you need place. And I mean, I'll be honest, like I enjoyed running out of my truck for years. That was my office. That's what it was. 
but having an office space is a nice like you can sit down you can focus you can do get more i find you're more productive in, a, in an office for sure and you can shut it off and you can shut it off from a cost perspective it's a it's another expense and you know the one thing i've i've got a couple guys younger you know that started i had a guy that used to work for me that actually kind of went on his own he worked for me i fired the guy and uh great kid good worker and stuff but he was still a kid right so you know shut up late a few times fucked off a few times I, I fired him and when i fired him i told him like man you're a good worker you got a good work ethic it's like you just got to figure out what it is you want to do four or five months later he comes back texts me back he's like hey i think i figured out what i want to do i was like all right what do you want to do i want to have my own company like you do well <laughs> you better get ready you know so he's uh, he's into it you know and i i told him right from the get-go i was like you don't need to go out and buy equipment and buy trucks and buy things. I was like, if you got the cash to do it and you can afford to do it, great. If you can't rent a piece of gear and go do a job and make enough money on it, you shouldn't be in business. It's just plain and simple. Are your margins better when you own the equipment? Yeah, probably, you know, depending on the length of the, uh, on how long you own it, the finest terms, all that stuff. But there's an argument made for both things, you know, like, you don't need to go and buy every piece of gear. You don't need to go and buy everything. And when you're starting out, you got a lot of stuff to learn, you know, and you can read all the books you want. You can do all the courses you want, but there's a lot of stuff you're just going to learn by being in business. And it's a whole lot easier to rent a piece of gear and learn a hard mistake and then bring that piece of gear back than to be tied to a massive payment and screw things up. And then you're really upside down, you know, so especially young guys starting out, want to get into it, man, go work for somebody, learn some skills, you know, learn how to do the job. And then go pick up some side jobs. You know, the, the guys that we hate that are always, you know, undercutting, <laughs> you know, for, for cheap. The guy with his, yeah. with his little trailer yeah. and his kid's steer that low bids the job. Yeah, pretty much. know what things cost. Pretty much, right? But at the same time, it's like, if you can go out and work for somebody and learn the, the job and learn what things really cost and charge what you're supposed to charge to do it. Don't go work. You work for 30 bucks an hour for somebody or 25 bucks an hour for somebody and you rent a piece of gear and then rent it or charge them out 50 bucks an hour. You don't have a business, you know, you're, you're making more money than you were making as an employee on paper, but when you actually figure out your costs, you're not. And then when you account for your insurance and your advertising and your overhead and the truck and the fuel, when you, like you said, learn your costs and you sit down with a piece of paper and figure out what everything costs, that 50 bucks an hour doesn't cover anything. You just work for free and the 50 bucks covered maybe most of your overhead, if that, but learning your cost and learning your numbers is huge. And I mean, you can go sit with an accountant, you can have a consultation with an accountant, you can go online, you can do a million things to figure these things out. The resources are there, you got to look for them, but nobody ever does until they're into it. That's what I'm about to say. I was shaking my head. No, because I'm going, nobody does that. No, but I didn't, I didn't either. <laughs> I'm know? just speaking from experience. I'm, this is what you should do. I'm like, I'm a third generation entrepreneur. You know, I'm third generation <laughs> in construction. Ah, they figured it out. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Boy, was I wrong. Oh yeah. You know, um, this is my second go at it. You know that I told you that, you know, I had another company with two mm -hmm. other guys and I fell fat on my face over there. Yep. I learned a lot. Oh yeah. So when I went out on my own this time, I sat down with my mom. I said, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to start off lean and mean. We're going to rent. We're going to have the contractors pay for the equipment, all that stuff. And we started off that way. And we were making dang good money. Yep. I had like three guys. That's all I had. Yep. I was bidding the jobs. I was PMing them. I was sitting on the job while they were doing it. So I was making sure it was getting done. And started growing. And 
that's the key is you got to find the right guys too. These guys that you're going to go after too, when you're building your company are not going to be cheap. No. And you have to be humble. That's the other thing that people <laughs> cannot seem to grasp. You don't get to go drive the brand new F550 Platinum because it looks cool. And you put your slip tank on the back and you put an eight inch lift on it and 37 mud tires and all that. Now go get you a nice, good diesel truck that can pull a skid steer around. I'm not saying you don't get something nice, but don't go buying a Laramie. Don't go buying, you know, get a tradesman, get a LT or whatever, you know, the, spend the money where it counts. Yeah. Get a truck. That's going to pull it. That's going to be four wheel drive. That's going to be able to pull a gooseneck trailer with a skid steer or a mini excavator on the back. And when you start making the money, okay, yeah, go buy yourself what you want. There's guys I know that they're clearing ten to twelve thousand dollars a week just owning a skid steer. Yep. And they haven't paid off in a year. So they know what they're doing, but they know their costs, like we just talked about. Yep. Those guys make so I'm gonna tell everybody listening to this that's thinking about going out on their own. Those guys and Devin will vouch on this. Oh yeah. The guys that have one skid steer maybe a bunch of attachments for it you know five six attachments they can do everything with a skid steer i'm gonna tell you right now they'd bring home more money a week than me and devin will ever bring home oh 100 yep it's the economy of scale and that's that's the thing that i've said this numerous times to numerous guys if you get a small company with two or three really good guys and yourself even yourself and one guy you're gonna make more money and have less headaches than you or i are ever gonna have mm-hmm. you know and the reality of it is Sure, there's a point where you're going to grow a company to a point where you you can start making money. But that point is not year two, three, four, five, six. You might be probably 10 to 15 years down the road before you're really going to start seeing the reward of those years of work. And that's that's still a maybe. It's not a guarantee. It's a maybe. You got to make it through those 10 years and do all the right things to get to that point where the guy that has the one guy, the skid steer, and goes out and does those job or just himself and you do it right, you're going to make money and you can have a real damn good life and a real good career like that. It just depends on what do you want, you know, and you get into it and you know what it's like, you start getting busy and then there's work and they want you to do more work and you do more work. So you buy more gear, you rent more gear and you get more guys. And all of a sudden you just kick that snowball down the hill and it gets to the point where it's so big, you can't go backwards now. You're, you're into it. Right. And everyone wants different things and they're, they're, they're cut from different cloths. But if I could give anyone, starting out some advice, go do the small one or two guy show for four or five, six years before you really make that jump. Even though the work's there and they're pushing you to go bigger and do more, just, just back off and spend a couple of years working by yourself. Make sure you get your numbers right. Make sure you're, you know, you got cash put ahead. Make sure you got everything ironed out and you've learned all the lessons before you go big because I didn't and you didn't. <laughs> and best, you got to figure it out, right? Best advice I ever got was from a great mentor of mine. Um, He's a, he used to be a rival. Um, he, he's not in the business anymore. He does trucking now. He's a broker doing trucking. Yeah. And uh, best advice he ever gave me when I went out, we, we we used to go neck and neck on bids all the time. And he'd call <laughs> me if I want a job. Did you bid this job? Yeah, yeah, I did. you get it? Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> so I'd call him too. You know, we'd go back and forth. We had a rivalry going on for a long time. It was a fun rivalry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we still went to lunch once a month. That's what the kind of rivalry we had. Yeah, we still yeah. went to lunch. Whoever won more jobs that month bought lunch. Hey, that's a good thing. Yeah, you know. So, anyways, this was years ago. This was probably two, three years ago. But um, it was funny because he told me when I went out on my own and I was starting to grow, he said, uh, how much you got sitting in the bank? I said, I don't know. I told him a number. He says, huh. 
you got about an eighth of what you need to have in the bank to operate a commercial construction company. Yeah. I looked at him and I says, what? He says, you need to have at least a half a million dollars sitting in that operating account at all times. Yep. I looked at him and said, ain't no way, man. I'm not making that. He goes, well, if you're not making that, then why are you as big as you are? Yep. So I'm still not there. <laughs> I don't think anybody is. But he, I mean, he said that. He said, you should not be messing with commercial work unless you have a half a million dollars sitting in the checking account at any time yep. that you need it because you don't get paid. You got to carry up forward costs. You got to carry forward materials. You got to carry forward diesel labor equipment payments. And he's right. I mean, yeah, if you're, 100%. if you're, if your overhead's 200 to 250,000 a month, think about it. That's only two months. Yeah. Half a million. Don't even touch Yeah. That. You know, you, you know, guys million. listening right now that are probably getting ready to go on on their own. They're going, oh my God, that's a lot of money. It's like water. I tell everybody, money in this business is not money. It's it's fuel. All it does is keep you going down the road. In one door, out the other, man. It does not. You're not in. You're not in Wall Street, where you can take five hundred grand and turn it into two hundred million dollars in a month. It's not going to happen. You have to consistently, consistently grow it, and it's a slow, steady, slow and steady wins the race, man. It ain't a okay. Well, I'm a. I just got. 200 million in contracts awarded and all this stuff. These guys that are growing at these massive rates right now and the economy slows down, they're going to be the first ones shutting their doors. The guys like us that are kind of staying slow and steady and growing gradually. Yep. Adding a machine here, adding a machine there. Yeah, they'll be around. Well, the big thing you got to look at is everyone looks at the big number, you know, and you know guys in business, I know guys in business that they don't even know the difference between gross profit and net profit. They look at Oh, I bid the job for a million dollars. I'm making a million dollars. No, man, you got $600,000 of material. You got $200,000 of diesel. You got $200,000 of wages. You're making 20 grand on this job, man. And you, you've spent 40 the day you got the check because shit, I got a million dollars. You know, and that's, that's the biggest problem in this industry is guys in the dirt world, I find, you know, and a lot of people probably agree with me on this. They know dirt, you know, and they're not business people first their tradesmen or their dirt work guys first business is just the second thing they do. And the reality is if you want to run a company and you want to run a successful one, you need to make being a businessman your first priority and you need to understand your numbers and you need to understand your cost and you need to understand all of that before you go stick a shovel in the ground. You know? yeah. And if you're going to do it the backwards way, like we both did, you should start off small with yourself, uh -huh. you know, maybe one guy and learn all those backwards lessons when you're small, because the bigger you get, and the bigger the jobs get, you don't fix those problems. They just get bigger, you know, and that's, that's one of the hardest lessons to learn. You know, I learned it the hard way. You learned it the hard way. We all did. And, you know, and, and some guys don't ever learn. They just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. You know, the biggest thing is you got to be willing to learn steady. Yeah. You got to make every move count. Yeah. That's the other key. Uh, the other key that you got to look at too is you got to know what do you need to bill every month? What's that bottom line number that's yep. going to keep the doors open? Because I'll tell you right now, you have to pay your suppliers, you have to pay your guys, you have to pay equipment payments, and you have to pay all your taxes and whatever else you got to pay depending on where you're at. Here in Texas, we don't got to worry about that as much. Uh, the only taxes we worry about is at the end of the year. But that's why you pay a really good CPA. Uh <laughs> <laughs> They're not an expense. They're an investment. <laughs> yeah, it's an investment. Um. The other thing, too, you need to learn about is you need to learn how uh, retainage works. You need to learn how um, devaluation of your equipment works. 
you have to every year devaluate your equipment a certain amount of money because if you don't you're going to pay more in taxes yep and that's that's the key that you know we're sitting here talking about construction but like why are they talking about taxes well if you want to be successful in this business you got to know the the ins and outs you got to know the game if you don't know the game you're 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 going to be a dinosaur well you got to realize too like people see the big number you know what what's a big commercial cut and fill job worth here you know millions but the margin on that is so small that two or three percent makes a huge difference to you because you're operating on the margin you're not operating on the big number you're operating on that little number you save two three percent on taxes or one percent on taxes that's a huge number you save half a percent on diesel cost that's a huge number for you in the bottom line you save a dollar a yard on cut cut to fill man yeah that's profit that's the thing. And that that's that's the thing that people don't realize. All those little tiny percentages and costs are where you live and die by. You know, and that's that's really what comes down to learning your numbers, learning what things actually cost, learn how to bid properly, factor yeah. your costs when you're bidding. When he showed the sheet on Monday. Yeah, man. And uh, I'm not going to say his name here, but and he said I'm getting this bid in this number. I went, dude, I'm moving this bitch to Indiana, dude. I'm, I'm coming. I'm knocking on your door, bro. I, I'm, I will move just as much dirt as you do, buddy. Trust me. I'm telling you. I couldn't believe that. I said, there ain't no freaking way you could do that down here. They would laugh you out of the room. Yep. You can't bid that, that way down here. And and he's very fortunate. He's in a very good area for it. I wish we had that luxury. I've always heard that, though. The guys up north in the Midwest do a little better than everybody else. But I'd always heard that. And now seeing it with my own two eyes, I went, Whoa. But the thing that you got to remember being up north, the Midwest and the U.S. is the same as being north in Canada. You're spreading that out on an eight month work season. So you're making your margin in eight months to cover your overhead for 12. And that's the thing that we always ran into, too. We'd make good money for eight months of the year. We'd lose money for three months. So you got to factor in that cost to operate for those three months, to keep your eyes on payroll, to keep the equipment payments made, to keep the shop paid for, all that stuff comes out of the eight months. So when we look at here, and you gotta say a 12 month work season, yeah, the margin is less on the job, but the total for the year, that that's what that's where when you look at different areas, you got there's outside factors to consider. But yeah, they are oh, yeah. doing it, substantially better. Than I was gonna say though, still dude, I mean, even if we get half of what they get, oh God, yeah, it's just insane. The problem is here is it's so saturated. Yeah. You have so many contractors here. Um, you know, and, you know, I talked to you about my plan for my future is, you know, I'm going to go down the road and sell this and or whatever, or EOE it or whatever I plan on doing and go buy my little dump truck and skid steer and a little D5. Simple life, man. A little 320, dig some <laughs> ponds and maybe have one guy. I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to run my cows, get my ag exemption start my little rifle range and <laughs> probably run my podcast still and that's a dream life man you know that's that's the goal man is uh i don't want to do this for the rest of my life man this is this is that's another thing we should talk about um this is not something you get into um knowing that you're gonna you're gonna you gotta have an exit plan and that's where a lot of guys don't you see these guys that own these companies for 70 80 years they just die they hand it off to their kid. The kid doesn't want it. Then some huge corporation sucks it up or it dies. Yep. It just dies with the generation. So that's something you got to think about too. Like, Hey, I want to go build this company and I want to make millions of dollars. And all. I dude, if you can pay your bills 
if you can pay your mortgage, pay your grocery bill, keep the lights on in the house, you're winning, man. 100%. If you can pay your guys, you can pay your suppliers, you, you ain't got to worry about the repo man looking for your truck, looking for the <laughs> equipment. You don't got the credit card company calling you. You're doing good, man. Everybody's like, oh, that sounds terrible. I'm like, well, that's construction. I'm going to tell you right now, it ain't like you just said, but I'm going to use a U.S. Army term. It ain't all it ain't all uh, rainbows and horseshoes here, Holmes, because uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, it, it's this is a business that can suck you up and beat the ever-living life out of you. Oh, yeah. To the point that you're miserable, you're depressed, and you got to have an out. Well, it all comes back to deciding what it is you really want. Like, what's your why? What's your reason for being in business, right? And I think some guys get into it, and they just do it because they want to have a job or they want the fancy truck or whatever. Other guys get into it because they do love business or they want to be an entrepreneur and build their own thing. Other guys want to see how big they can get, how far they can go, how hard you can push it. I think everybody, it all comes back to having purpose, right? So guys that work their whole life or like you or I, we couldn't just retire tomorrow and go sit on a beach. You know, there's no such thing. You get, it's great for three, four days and then you're bored shitless and you know, what do you do now? Right. You got to be doing something. And that's where it comes back to, you know, what is your, what's your goal? What's your why? What's your reason? You know, whether that's exiting the company at some point and having the dump truck in the 320 and the little dozer and doing ponds, having a ranch, you know, guys like us are never going to stop working and just retire. It's a, that's a pipe dream. So I think a lot of guys get into the business, you know, not having an exit plan and then they build the company and then it's like, well, what else am I going to do? Right. So they just keep going with it. And then it gets to the point where they die or the kids take over or whatever. I think that's how a lot of those end up is because they don't have a plan as to what they want, you know, and there ain't nothing wrong with running a company forever if you like doing it, but it's definitely taxing. It's not a stress-free life. It will take years off of you. I'll tell you that it, uh, it is a thankless job. Um, as the man said earlier, uh, you will literally, have everyone coming at you about everything and always remember everything's your fault yeah oh yeah 100 it's never it's never the gc's fault it's never the client's <laughs> fault so this is another thing that i'm going to warn everyone your first year in business i want uh want to explain something to you this is going to happen it's going to come to you no matter what you do in business your first client is going to ask you to do something that is completely free <laughs> and you're going to do it <laughs> And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to do it. You're not going to notice it because you're still small and you don't have a lot of costs yet and all that stuff. And you'll do it. And you don't even think about it. You just feel good about doing it, you know, because you're a good person. And a year or two goes by. You're going to get burned on something when you do that. And then you're going to get bitter. And then people are going to ask you to do something for free. And you're going to go, I don't even get out of bed for free. And then they're going to ask you to come back and fix something. And you're going to send them a change order for some outrageous amount of money. And they're going to be like, well, I don't understand why you're back charging me this one. Well, because my time is not free. My guy's time isn't free. My equipment's not free. The air I'm breathing is not free. And you're not going to take anything from me. So that's something that I had to learn. And it's not discussed much when I hear these other podcasts. They don't talk about this part. You know, everything's always about the labor shortage or, you know, we're doing this to make the clients pay fat. Nothing's working, guys. Let's just talk about the realistic stuff here for a minute. And I think that's why people like this show. I'm blunt. I don't hold back. <laughs> I haven't held back since I started this. And you even said it the other day. You said, I love listening to your show because you're just blunt. You're like, you Tell know, it like it is, man. 
You know, if you don't accept it for what it is, and then you know, then don't be here because we have an issue that needs to be addressed. We have a lot of issues in this industry. This is one of the most backwards, corrupt, <laughs> well, think old, of, stuck in the old ways think, industries. Think about it. When was the last time you went to the restaurant, had a meal, and then told them, "Hey, that was a really good meal. Thanks for making that. I'll come back and pay you in sixty days." Yeah. What? You know that yeah. that's the industry, and I yeah. mean the. The way the business is done in this industry, it has to change. Yep. It's got to change because at the end of the day, you have all these developers and these big GCs at the top that are making all the money because they're controlling how it's played out. And then you have all the other guys at the bottom that are too dumb to organize or to say no or to stand their ground or to demand better terms. And they just go and do it because they start small, they get big quick, they got too many bills and then they can't say no to this job. They can't say no to that job. They got to take the job. They got to take the lower price. They got to take the shitty terms because they got to go make payroll or they got to do this. So the, the problem starts at the beginning mm -hmm. by not knowing how to run a business properly. And then it just gets compounded. And then the guys at the top take advantage of that. And it forces the whole industry to be run so friggin' backwards. And it's to the point now that it's like something's got to change, you yeah. know? And, and I mean, why should we as the contractor, or the, the, the sub coming to the site, be bankrolling the developer who's building the building. You know, Thank like, you. like why, why am I paying for your material on the project that you're gonna make millions of dollars on? Mm -hmm. you know, why, why is the little guy who's making a little, you know, 10, 12, 15% if they're lucky on this project, footing the bill for free? Yeah. You know, do I get to charge interest when I carry a, a bill for, for three months? Yeah. You can put it in your contract, they ain't gonna pay it. No. <laughs> you know, like. I love that. You change something in the contract and you get it approved and then you'll tell them and they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to honor that. It's like, if I don't do that, I get sued. And they say, well, sue me. Yeah. So I actually started <laughs> doing that. Yeah. Believe it or not, I've sued people while I'm still on their job. You'd be surprised how many times I've actually just gotten it taken care of. I'm like, hey, I'm not coming back. It's in my contract and there ain't nothing they can do about it. Mm -hmm. They can try like the hell to, you know, back charge me all that. I'm like, that's cool. I'll call my lawyer. And as soon as you tell them you're going to call your, that's also the difference between being a new guy and also being four or five years into the game, like you and I are. And they'll go, okay, this guy's got teeth. It shouldn't. He, it shouldn't. He's going to have the money to call a lawyer and sue me and cause a headache. Yeah, it's going to make, make it a, a nightmare for me. But it, it shouldn't have to be that way, and that's no. the thing. And I mean, if everybody in the industry just said, you know what, we ain't doing it this way no more, yeah, no. it would change. But, and that's why we need to, as a contractors, I, and this is something that I'm going to work on the next 12 months, and it's in a plan, but it, uh, on grade is going to do it. Um, and I'm going to start having roundtables, and whether it's on Zoom, whatever. I'm going to record it. Yep. I'm going to put it up on YouTube, and I'm going to put it on the podcast. Like I'm going to be like, hey, this is what we need to do. You know, We need to change the industry for better. You know, I hear these guys talking about it all the time. You know, I'm not going to name names, but we know who they are. Uh, well, we need to just change the industry. You know, it starts with us. And it's like, no, it doesn't just start with us. It starts with the dudes at the top. Yep. The dudes at the top have been running the game. We can buy all the training videos you want us to buy and get all the fancy websites you want. I ain't got crap to do with this, dude. This is straight up reading a contract. Teach people how to read contracts. You want good operators? You want these companies to succeed? 
train them in the right ways. Train these project managers. Train these estimators. It's a dying breed, man. It's oh, a dying huge. knowledge. There's so many guys now that estimate that miss so much crap. Yep. And it's it's just there's so many things that they could do better. And they're 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 shooting in the general direction. I'll give them that. But they're completely missing what they should be shooting for. Yeah, technology's helping a lot with that gap and it's definitely making things better and more accurate. But the problem is is that it's making it better and more accurate to make bids leaner and make things mm-hmm. lesser and you mm-hmm. the margin's not going up. The accuracy is just getting better at keeping it cheaper on yep. on our end. Yep. You know, and that's that's the thing. And that's really where it comes back to, you know, commercial work and the big projects and the big jobs. It's nice. Yeah. You know, it's good work, all that stuff. But there's a lot of headaches that come along with that too, that you don't have so much in the residential space or in the smaller markets mm-hmm. or when you're doing a little niche job, you know, and that's the thing. And that's really where it comes down to when you're starting out before you go getting big, you should really take a good hard look around and see what it is you want to do because one guy with a skid steer and a truck doing jobs for homeowners or putting driveways or patios or arenas, you don't have a lot of these headaches that you do on the big commercial side of things. And you get money up front and you get paid when you're done. Make your terms. Yeah. You do damn good work. You make the rules guys. Like that's the thing you should look at. You should make your own rules and you should have your own contract that you write Loctite. I would recommend you go speak to a lawyer when you get ready to write a contract for construction, especially uh, if you're starting up a business, sit down with a lawyer, especially uh, they're called construction attorneys. Yep. And Devin can vouch on this. They'll write you a Loctite contract. And most of them will write a fair one. That'll be state law. It'll be to the letter what the laws are in the state of Texas or wherever you're at. Um, The other thing I want to talk to you about is uh, I think contractors as a whole, we need to start having, I think what'll help us out too is especially in the commercial sector in the industrial and uh, multifamily stuff. We need to get to the point where we're licensing guys and we're bonding guys. Cause I know in Canada you had to do all that. Oh yeah. And you guys had way better competition. Your margins were probably better. You probably, your bids weren't like this going well, you skyrocket see. to the moon and one guy down on the dirt. <laughs> I mean, you there's, know, that's what you have here. There's barriers to entry, right? So like, depending on what you're trying to do, there's a lot, there's barriers to entry to get in there. You're not just bidding any job you want. And I mean, you have that here with the municipal work and stuff. Obviously you got to be bonded and all that stuff and, uh, and whatnot. And I mean, it still comes back to the GC that's going to accept that bid anyways. You know, they're not stupid. When they get that bid that's 250000 less than the next closest one, they know there's something missing in that contract. You know, and they just look at it as, well, shit, we'll get, you know, two-thirds of the work done before he runs out of cash and we run him off and then we bring somebody in and do the rest of it and they're still ahead, right? And it, 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 that's just an industry problem, right? Like, it's, it starts at the top, but it's the bottom too, right? You know, The biggest thing that we talked about on the episode on Monday contracts yep that's your money's made before you start a job everybody's like what i'm like your money's made on that contract if you write a loctite contract and your scope of work is legit yep and you attach your proposal to that with the quantities all that stuff you're set man yep you got them by you know what and you're gonna get the legitimate change orders that you should you get a fair shake yeah you're gonna get a fair shake in the contract You'll be hard pressed once you get it. Once you get the hang of it, you'll be hard pressed to lose money on a job. It's it can happen. It still can happen. Whether 
labor issues, maintenance issues, you know, <laughs> machines breaking down on you. It, it, it happens, but it's a rare event. You should be profiting minimum 10% on a job. Once you kind of got your numbers locked, you know what stuff's costing. Now that materials kind of are leveling out again, we should be getting back to that again, that 15%. But there for a little bit with this escalation crap, it was getting like 10%. But now that it's kind of leveling out again, we should be getting more into the 10% realm, 10 to 15%. But And that's the thing you got to look at too, right? Like running a company on 10%, it's you're tight. Everything counts, right? Yeah. And that's, that's where it comes back to, you know, getting into niche markets, being in more diverse things, going into areas that have less competition, you know, and that's, those are all things you really need to consider and look at when you're starting out, but it comes back to don't just dive into the big pond right when you start, start out, go into commercial work and stuff. Cause you can, you can get chewed up and spit out real quick. Be the big fish in the small pond. Yep. Tell you that right now. I wish I could go back to myself four years ago and go. Hey, I know that developer just called you about this job. There's a guy down the street needs a pond dog. You're going to make twice as much money and have half the headaches. And you're going to make your money a lot quicker. But everybody wants to have the wrapped trucks and the wrapped excavators right off the interstate and have their buddy in the truck. Be like, see, that's me right there. That's my guy's working. It's more uh, the it's, ego, ego takes it's, over. It's cool. You know, it's cool. I've been that guy. It's cool. But now I go. That's cool. Well, they screwed up that job. Oh, crap. Look at that pile. Oh, dude. <laughs> you know, now it's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. It's cool until you're into it. Yeah. Once, it, once you're into it and it becomes normal, then it's, uh, it's just not. It's and then you, and then you, it's unfortunate you don't trust anyone anymore. It gets to that point, And that's the other dark side of this business that nobody wants to talk about. But, uh, make sure you document everything. Uh, emails and text messages. I'm telling you this right now. Friendly advice for anybody that's, going out on their own everything needs to be in an email everything needs to be in a text message and save it and uh, honestly if it's not you're on a phone call with the uh, project manager or the superintendent and they want to change something and you discuss it on the phone you follow that up with an email yep. highlighting exactly what we just talked about this is da, da 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 and they have to acknowledge it back so that you have proof that you were okay to go do this work or make this change or whatever because otherwise you ain't getting paid guys. I, I want to say this. Uh, don't take this as doom and gloom. We're not here to not sell you on starting your own business <laughs> or anything, but we want you to understand that there are several things that you need to make sure you're doing correctly. And that's one of them. That's a key thing. The other thing is finding good employees. And that's a very hard bargain to ask right now at the moment. Well, it's, it's twofold too, right? Like finding good employees, you know, you can get lucky. You, you can find some good guys. You can get lucky. But I think you got to be more of the mindset that you're going to build good employees, you know, and, and that's really what it comes down to. Sure, it'd be great to go out and put an ad out on Indeed and get, you know, 20 guys that show up and they're all awesome and, and everything's all great. But, you know, you, you hire enough people and you go through enough interviews and you look at enough resumes, none of that matters. You can find the best resume, have the best interview, meet a great person. They come out to the job site and they're useless. So at the end of the day, you're, you're really shooting in the dark when it comes to that. You know, you might get lucky and get a good guy, but nine times out of 10, it's probably not going to be as good as it seemed on paper and in the interview and in the conversations and all that. So what I've always done is, you know, everyone that I've hired, I don't hire on skill. 
I don't hire on ability. I don't hire on what they know. I hire on their attitude. Are they a good person? Are they willing to learn? Are they willing to eat shit sandwiches and come to work every day and show up on time? You can build a really good team of people, but you have to be willing as a business owner. It's, I guess, twofold. You got to be willing and you got to be able to eat the cost of taking six months to build somebody into a good employee. You know, because if you get somebody that's got a little bit of experience, but they got the right attitude in six months, you can make a really good employee out of them. But the first three months, it's going to cost you money because they don't know shit or they're screwing things up or they're making mistakes or they're smashing that machine. And you got to be willing to, to know that going in that, okay, well, the first three to six months here, this is going to cost me money. But if you pick the right person, it's an investment. And then you build a team of people and that's how you can definitely do it, you know. And you treat your guys like they're one of your own. You treat them like Man. they're they're like family. You know, if you treat your guys like family, nine times out of ten, they're going to do the same to you. They're going to take care of your machines. They're going to check their machines every morning. They're going to take pride in their work. Hundred percent, man. Like you, you know, without your employees and without that team, you're nothing. You know, and that that's the thing that a lot of people forget sometimes. Yeah, I've worked for the big boys. You have too. Um, yeah. I've been the number, and it's not a good feeling. And I think people need to realize that even these big guys, they need to realize that these guys have families, they have lives, and they deserve to, you know, make a good living and be treated with some form of respect. And that's unfortunately not many people nowadays. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, money and a wage only go so far. You know, you can pay somebody great money, but if they have a shit work environment and they hate going to work every day and they don't like working with the people they're working with or their boss, they're only going to stay so long. And then you just lost money again and yep. you got to replace them and do it all over again. Yep. You know, at the end of the day, money's important, but when it comes to an employee, that's not the only thing. It's not the only thing to look at. They got to have a good work environment. They got to enjoy coming to work every day. They got to know that you appreciate them being there. And it doesn't take a whole lot to make a person feel appreciated. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just being conscious of, of that. It's a, uh, it's an art form on its own. You're just, not lying. Man. Just one of the balls that you got to juggle running a business. Exactly. But it's it's you, you need it. It's important. And without it, you're you're screwed. You know, yep. Go back to being the one guy in the skid steer. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in closing, brother, what are um, so what are your y'all's plans moving forward? Uh, down here, we came down and we kind of looked at the market and what things are going on. You know, obviously with the the way the economy is going, the residential space, the market kind of slowing down there. Commercial work seems to be still moving along. We've definitely decided that you know, the next couple of years, we're not trying to ramp up, get huge scale. It's just going to be lean, small, keep it what it is and definitely carve out niche markets. You know, that's a, I've always liked having a mix of doing residential work and some commercial work. You know, you can kind of go back and forth and float between the two and it gives you a kind of good spread and a balance, you know, instead of being all into one or the other, but you got to be, I find in the, the residential space and in niche markets, you got to be damn good at what you do. You know, you got to take the time to be really damn good at what you do and deliver a phenomenal product. And if you can do that, you're going to excel in those spaces regardless of what the market's doing. So for us, like we're going to definitely stick to doing some small residential work, some niche stuff where we specialize mostly in utility work. That's where we, we do the best sewer, water, septic, you know, all that stuff is what we, we like doing and what we're good at, but we want to kind of stay small, medium sized in doing that. We're not looking to get huge or or go nuts, especially with the way the economy is going right now. So keep your overhead low, you know, keep a good mix of stuff and, and kind of go from there. Absolutely. What about yourself? <sighs> G- 
just uh, make it work with what we got. Yeah. Um, we're we've grown a little bit, but uh, we're renting some stuff right now, and we're probably gonna just keep renting, um, just in case you know it slows down a little bit. We're running about twenty guys all together with office and field, and I'm really not trying to go past that. Um, I'm trying to, you know, get to about eight million a year. That's where I'm gonna stick for a while. Yep. Just kind of keep it on cruise control. Um, it's gonna keep us paying the bills and also help us get out of debt. And if we can do that, you know, I'm hoping within the next three years we're zero debt and, uh, you know, we're trading in some equipment, getting some new stuff, and we have enough residual value still in them that we're not having to put massive payments anymore on equipment and cuts our margins down a little better and we can in a way um lower our prices a little better be a little more competitive okay. but not but not to the point we're cutting our leg off either well that's the thing you if you can keep your overhead low like overhead is going to kill you it'll yep. sink you so fast and especially in a slowing market when people are undercutting you know when you got massive overhead you don't have the option to start cutting rates and no. trimming and you can't play that game anymore right you're, no. you're stuck your hoop so it's definitely uh a smart way to go for sure yeah i'm I'm, i've grown as much as i want to grow for right now um i'm gonna wait and see how the market looks and the economy's looking over the next you know 36 48 months but for now just kind of keep it on cruise um i just want to build the most money i can build with the amount of guys i got the amount of equipment i got which i think i can do very well um and that's really it man i i don't I don't want to go much above that. that. That's about as far above and beyond I want to go with it. Well, that's the thing. If you can get efficient, you can get good, you can get your numbers hard, you can get everything as it is right now, it puts you in a really good spot. you know. And then that's – when you're growing, you're always trying to grow, 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 grow. And you're, a lot of the stuff gets forgotten and left behind in the dark and the backside. And those problems aren't so bad when there's an insane amount of work coming down the pipeline. You can kind of mask them and make it through – when work starts slowing down, those problems get real big real quick, you know, and that's that's where a lot of guys get – that's where they get screwed. You know, that's that's the end of the – you have a big boom, they get massive, work slows down, all the problems come up, and they disappear. Yeah, yeah. and then you start seeing their equipment at Richie Brothers <laughs> or the Holt dealer, RDO. You're like, what happened? Oh, they, they won't belly up. Oh. On the plus side – Equipment pricing is coming down to a, a reasonable rate now. Still can't get anything. No, no, you can't. Yeah. Six to eight months still yeah. on. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's inc- it's crazy. The, if I was going out on my own right now, honestly, I don't know if I would yet. Right now, I, I, I'm I'm not saying that to deter anyone, but uh, I, I would I would try to catch the beginning of a boom. I wouldn't try to get at the end of it. This is the that we're on the end of it right now this is going to be a it's going to start leveling out it's not going to be a we're not going to be blowing and going like we were for the last four years it's going to be more you know there's enough work there there's enough work for everybody at the table um this is where you're going to see as uh luke luke Payne said it the other time he was on the (laughs) show you know you're gonna have to tighten up the bootstraps a little bit oh yeah hold on a little bit but we're gonna get through it Especially uh, if you're established uh, and you got good clients, you got good guys, um, you got a good rental rep you're working with, you got people that care about you. If you've got suppliers that'll work with you 
and you got people that truly care about you and you got good clients, you got good people working behind the scenes in the office, you got a good estimating team, good project management team, you'll be fine. hundred percent. But you're not building that overnight. So no. if you're thinking of starting out and you're going to do it now, you got to do it small. And, yeah. the, and the big thing with that, like when I started in Canada, we were in a recession. We were in a downturn. That's when I started. Dumbest time to start a company, hands down. You got to hustle. You got to grind. You got to work your ass off to do it. And the one thing that always came back to that was you have to be delivering extreme value. You know, you got to know your market. You got to know what you're doing. And you got to deliver amazing value to the customers to be able to stand out in that market. You know, there's always going to be a customer. There's always going to be work to be had. But there's a whole lot less when you're in a recession and you got to do a whole lot more to get it. It's not as easy as just showing up and being there, you know, and I think that's what this market down here has had for a lot of years is there was more work than there was guys to do it. So a lot of people could just show up and do it. And I think you're going to see a lot of guys around here fade away pretty quick once that work really starts drying up here. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, though, is I think we're going to get through this uh, recession down here a little bit better than other parts of the country. You know, it's still booming here. Oh, yeah. There's still businesses moving here. Um, there's tons of people still moving here. Prime 100%. example is you. you know? <laughs> um, I think we're going to be like how California was in the mid-'80s. It's You know, they had about a 20-year boom, yep. and then it kind of fell out. But, hell, they're still building in California. Well, that's the thing. They never really stopped. It's just, you know, they don't get, they don't get the light like they do now. It, it's not going to be so much a recession in Dallas as it's just going to be going back to normality. Is what yeah, it's yeah. Be. People and are going to think the bottom fell out. Yeah. They're still going to be pulling 100 permits a month. But, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God, the bottom fell out. Dude, they're starting 100 projects this yeah. month. What are you talking about? Yeah, you were living in a dream world for a while. You're just yeah. back to reality here. Yeah, and this, that's, is what norm, this is where everybody else in the country is like right yeah. now. And that, that's what we looked at coming down here. You know, that was a big thing yeah, with everything that was going in the economy and stuff. That's one thing we really looked at was, you know, how bad is it really going to be here when things level off? And the best thing I looked at was it's going to go back to normal. It's yeah. not going to be crash, burn, you know, 2008 all over again. I think it's going to level out to a normal space. And guys that are really putting in work and doing things right, they're going to have a spot in the market still. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Devin, uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. Hey, man, thanks and, for having uh, me. And really appreciate it. And uh, we're uh, we're definitely going to have you back on. <laughs> uh, definitely going to be a return guest. Uh, you've definitely got the radio voice, oh, which shit. is great. You know, uh, Doc and those guys, I love Doc, but that dude, that dude's like, oh, let me tell you. You know, <laughs> love him to death. I'm going to have him back on too, though. He's a trip. Did you watch his episode? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, oh, dude, he's, he's a trip. i got to probably get you two together. You oh, two man, probably he's be awesome. hysterical. Yeah. Um, love that guy but uh yeah um if you guys would like and subscribe um also please comment um some things you'd like us to talk about um we just did start that series um i'm doing a couple of episodes now where i'm just talking and it's talking about uh kind of starting your own business kind of what me and devin talked about tonight um this is still a regular episode interview but I wanted to try this out, incorporating talking about starting a business, talking about how to set yourself up for success to be a contractor. So um, please comment. Let us know if you think of some things you want us to discuss. And uh, when I have someone else on, we'll bring it up. And like I said, this show's for you guys. Um, if there's some things you want me to talk about, email me. Uh, my email is listed below in the comments. Or uh, just uh, put it in the comments, and I'll, you know, I'll get to it, guys. So... Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next time. Bye.